Hello and welcome from Schweizer Church. Welcome to worship. I'm Pastor Jason. If this is your first time worshiping with us, a warm welcome to you. If you let us know you're here, we'd love to send you a gift card so you could get a coffee on us. Today, we are in week four of our Come Follow Me series, where we hear Jesus cry out to all of his followers, come and follow me. What does that look like here in this space of Schweizer Church? That's what we're exploring. If you'd like to know more, if you'd like to grow, if you'd like to encounter some of the sermon questions that go, go along with this experience today, you can go to schweitzer.church next. You'll find all kinds of things there, discussion questions, also groups that are taking up this sermon series and walking through it together. We encourage you to go to schweitzer.church next. Next up is going to be Stephanie with announcements. Let's take a listen. Hi, I'm Stephanie. Welcome to Schweitzer. Schweitzer is an active place with many, many opportunities for you to connect and grow in your faith. And if you're new here, or even if you've been coming for a little while and just want to get to know us a little better, we invite you to join us for our Next Steps Lunch happening on Sunday, May the 21st. Here you'll be able to learn more about what we believe and find out ways that you can get connected that you may not have even thought of. You can sign up for lunch at the Blue Booth today or by signing up at schweitzer.church next. Also on May 21st, we'll be celebrating graduates at both services. If you know a student graduating from either high school or college, please send us all the details by logging in at schweitzer.church graduate. Coming up this Saturday at 9 a.m., we're hosting our Celebrating Women's Brunch. This will be a great time together with fantastic food, a great message, flowers, and other special activities. We'd love to see all ladies from kindergarten on up at this very special event. You can sign up today at the Blue Booth or by going to schweitzer.church women. One last thing, next Sunday, we'll be honoring all ladies with a special gift. And we'll also be celebrating Cheryl Mole's retirement. She has been a part of our staff for 30 years and is currently serving as our Director of Traditional Worship. Please be with us on this special day. We really look forward to having you. Thanks again for being with us this morning. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Stephanie. And now, if you're worshiping with us live, we encourage you to take a moment, sign in, let us know that you're here, wave in the chat feature, or if you'd like prayer, there's someone in the prayer room that would be happy to pray with you. Let's enter into worship together in the joy of the Lord.
I invite you to join me in this prayer today as we think about what does it mean to be someone who tells and conveys and lives the good news of Jesus. We have this prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life.
Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Now let us say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. One of the great opportunities we have in worship is to be a part, actively be a part of what God is doing through the act of giving tithes and offerings. And one of the things that's happened ministry-wise through Schweitzer is something called Reading Buddies, where we're partnered with Pittman Elementary and a number of folks from Schweitzer go and they read along with little kids. Well, this past week, the Reading Buddies helped to, uh, to make a lunch possible for the staff and the teachers of Pittman. And one of the comments we got back from one of the teachers is, thank you so much from Schweitzer. We know that we're loved because you continue to bless us in countless ways and you just ask, how can, how can we be a blessing? It's a big gift, and the folks at Pittman love it. They welcome it. And you know what? It's just showing that God is blessing and touching the community through, through uh, our hearts and through our sense of generosity. So thank you so much. You can give today by going to Schweitzer.church give or by using the Church Center app. Lots of ways to do that, to bless our community uh, and to be a part of what God is doing in that. Now, coming up is week four of the sermon series. Come follow me. We engage in evangelism. Friends, welcome today. So glad that you're here with us. My name is Spencer, and today is part four of a, of a series, six-week series we're calling Come, Follow Me. And of course, this is what Jesus says to, his, to anyone that he invites to come and be his disciple, that, that you come and follow me, learn from me, and follow me and, and uh, to be his disciple. And so for this six weeks, we're exploring this call of Jesus to be his disciple. What does this mean for us? How do we live into this? And we're not looking at this in a, in a general sense. We're looking at this really specifically about us here in this fellowship, this body, this church that we call Schweitzer, how do we together live as disciples of Jesus and follow after him? And so we're looking at six values, or you could say six practices that we think are just absolutely crucial to following Jesus and living this faithful life. And so you'll see these values posted on the walls in our building. If you're here in person, you'll see them um, on our website. These are just six crucial things that as a church body, we just think these are absolutely crucial, how we follow Jesus, how we understand this call to do this together. Now in our church, one of the ways that we describe ourselves is that we say that we're Christ-centered, community-focused. And I absolutely love that, not because I came up with that tagline, because I, I didn't, but I, I love it because I hear people say that and it gets quoted, it's memorable, we're Christ-centered, community-focused, it's easy to remember as we think about this. And the first three um, 
session, three, first three um, parts of this series were really about that exact thing, that we were Christ-centered. These next three are going to be about this community-focused part um, as we think about our witness out into the world. And so the first three might have been more internal. These next three are going to be more external as we think about these values. And so as we think about our witness into the world, this uh, uh, part today, this week today is exactly about that because we're going to say as a church, one of our values, one of our practices that are just crucial to following Jesus is that we say that we engage in evangelism. We have good news to share. That's what the word evangelism means. It comes from a Greek word that just means an, an announcement of good news. We have an announcement of good news. We've got a message to share with the world that is good, that Jesus Christ, who is crucified, dead, and risen, that he is our Savior, that he is here for us, that he saves absolutely everyone. And so we have this good news message to share with the world. And so if you're going to be a follower of Jesus this is a call that you have. He expects all of us, he calls all of us to be people who announce and proclaim good news. Mark 16, Jesus says this very bluntly. He says it like this. He just says to all of his disciples, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. The word gospel just means good news. Preach the good news to all creation because the gospel is for everyone. All creation is everyone. There is no one who's too far gone, who's too lost, who's too cynical or too sinful or too separated from God or, or too hopeless because absolutely everyone is invited to come and to find this life in Christ. And so we go and we share this gospel with absolutely everyone. And this is what disciples of Jesus are called to do, to go into the world and to take this good news message to everyone. Now, I've heard it said before that one of the ways we could read this, go into all the world, is to also read it like, go into every person's world make connections and relationships and, and go into ways that people can understand and they can respond for themselves this, to this good news message of Jesus, that he's died and that he's risen and he's the savior of all. And so our call now is to go and to share this message with absolutely everyone. And this is not the call of just like Schweitzer as this organized church or the call of the preacher. No, no, no. This is the call of every follower of Jesus personally. Like, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is your call. This is what Jesus calls you to do, to find ways of sharing this good news message with the people around you. And I get it. That's intimidating. It's super intimidating to, to go and tell people about this. And, and we kind of get squeamish and, and a little nervous when we start to think about our call of telling people about Jesus. And I don't quite get it because, you know, on one hand, you know, Jesus has done so much for us. He's He's saved us. He's forgiven us. You know, my life, I, I find my life is so different because of him. I've got purpose and hope and healing in my life and forgiveness in ways I would never have otherwise. And yet for some reason, this idea of going to people who don't know that and telling them is, is intimidating. Why, why is that? Well, I spent some time this week thinking about that question. Like, why is it intimidating to go tell people about the best thing that's ever happened to me? And I, I don't, you know, have an, an answer for that necessarily, but I jotted down some ideas of, of maybe some reasons why we, we might find that intimidating. So here's just a few reasons off the top of my head that I came up with that, that are just a little bit uh, reasons why we might find this intimidating. So here's a few. Fear of rejection, ignorance, doubt, fear of failure, fear of success. Maybe we're afraid someone says yes. Insecurity of our faith. Maybe we've got insecurity of our personality. We don't think we know how. We don't want to be pushy. We don't want to be like those, you know, those other Christians. Uh, we, we're respectful. So we don't really maybe believe in hell or maybe we don't really believe in heaven. Maybe we don't have believe in a full life through Christ. Maybe we think it's inappropriate. We don't really believe the story. We think maybe Jesus is just as good as other religious leaders. So why didn't I tell anyone about Jesus? Um, maybe we think it's not our job. 
We don't really love people. Maybe we, we don't want to be labeled. Maybe it's not our, you know, our gift. Maybe we think that we have too many issues or we don't know how to start or we've never shared the gospel before. We don't know our own story. I mean, maybe we have too many questions and doubts. I mean, there's on and on and on. There's all kinds of reasons why we might think to ourselves that this is, this is super intimidating. So I, so as I think about these reasons and, and maybe you can relate to these reasons, I just, I can't help but think that if, if we find this, uh, call to be intimidating, if this doesn't tell us something about how Maybe we need to rethink um, this call of evangelism. And, and what I mean by that is really we need, to, we need to rethink and have a better understanding of what is our role in telling other people the good news that Jesus is alive, that he's the savior of all, and that he can move in someone's life. What, what is our role in this? So let's, re, let's rethink that a little bit from, from maybe some of the ways that we've thought about this. And for me, one of the best places in the Bible that I go to to, to really capture what is my role in sharing the good news with other people is, is Acts chapter 8. Now, if you're not familiar with the book of Acts, the book of Acts is the story of the early church, the very first Christians. Uh, Jesus you know, is crucified, he's resurrected, he ascends back into heaven, and his disciples are left looking at each other thinking like, so what do we do now? Jesus tells them to wait in Jerusalem. The power of the Holy Spirit is going to come on them. They're going to be a witness into the whole world. It says in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, it's just kind of like a way it spreads out into the whole world. And and as the disciples are, are waiting around for whatever that means, the power of the Spirit to come upon them, they find themselves in this upper room, the door's locked, the Spirit comes upon them, and as the Holy Spirit comes upon them, this amazing thing happens as they leave the room and they go out into the streets and they start to tell people this good news of Jesus Christ. And as the story goes in the book of Acts, this, this spread just keeps happening as they go into more places and take more risks and, and they step boldly into new places to share this good news message of Jesus. And that's where we come in Acts chapter 8. The church is spreading, this message is happening, this, there's risk that's being taken, it's bold um, gospel sharing. And so we come to Acts chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 26, read a story about Philip. Here's how it goes. It says, An angel of the Lord said to Philip, and before we go any further, we need to understand Philip. Philip is not an apostle. He's probably not an original follower of Jesus. We first meet Philip in Acts chapter 6. This is chapter 8. So we first meet him in Acts chapter 6 when jobs are being divvied up. And it's decided that the apostles are going to spend all their time preaching and in prayer. And um, other people, some other leaders, are going to spend some time serving food. And so Philip is chosen to serve food. Like He's chosen to organize the potlucks. That's Philip's job. He's not a preacher. He didn't, you know, follow Jesus around for three years. So he doesn't have a degree from I followed Jesus around the countryside for three years. That's not, where, not what he did. He didn't go to seminary. They didn't give him a microphone. Like he's a behind the scenes kind of leader that is now stepping forward. And there's probably all kinds of reasons why Philip could, could be intimidated by this because this is not maybe his gifting. This is not his resume. This is not his past. But here's the thing. God doesn't care about that kind of stuff. God calls people. He calls all of us. And then he equips us to go. And so he says to Philip, he says, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now I'm going to read that last line one more time. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit says to Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. That's it. That's all the Holy Spirit said to him. Go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, I think right here, right here is the point that causes so many of us to have this 
this uncomfortable feeling about evangelism. This is, this is right here, why we feel squeamish, why we feel uncomfortable, why we feel intimidated. Because I just want you to notice here, notice what the Holy Spirit does and doesn't do. This is such an important point of clarification for us. Help, so helpful in rethinking this. What, what the Holy Spirit doesn't do is he doesn't tell Philip, hey, go to Phil, go to, go, go convert that man. He doesn't say to Philip, go, you know, win that man for Jesus. He doesn't say to Philip, go argue with him and uh, prove that Jesus is, is Lord of all. He doesn't go to Philip and say, you, Philip, you personally, you go with a convincing uh, message and you make that person a disciple. No, that's, that's not what happens. He's just simply this. Go to that chariot and stay near it. Stay near it. Now, whenever we um, get in trouble because we think, you know, Jesus comes up in conversation and we start to get maybe nervous. Maybe we get, you know, some sweaty palms because we, we, you know, we think, oh, great, I need to say something now or else I'm going to have the shame of getting in my car later and driving away thinking of all the things I should have said because Jesus is now in conversation. I don't know what to say and I get scared and intimidated in those kinds of situations. And when we start to feel that pressure ourselves, like, like it's intimidating for us and we feel like we need to say something, we don't know what to say and all that pressure starts to build. That pressure starts to build in our lives and we feel that way because we are doing the exact opposite of what Philip is doing here. We begin to feel that way because we begin to think it's our job to make that person also start following Jesus. It's our job to convince them. It's our job to argue with them. It's our job to make them a follower. It's our job. It's on our shoulders. And so, and so we think to ourselves, ah, oh, I don't know what to say. Oh, I don't know how I'm going to say this. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to answer questions. Or maybe we think I don't, I don't know what they're, you know, what to say if they ask me this or that, or I don't know how to like casually just bring up Jesus because how does someone possibly do that? And we just start putting our pressure upon ourselves to, to think this is our job. This is on my shoulders. This is my responsibility to convert someone. And I just want to tell you, it's not. I mean, I think about what happens to Lydia in Acts chapter 16. This is what we read. It says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Or I think about what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, God is the one who brings people to faith in Christ, not us. In theological terms, we call this prevenient grace. That is that there is this grace that goes before all of us. That God is at work in people's lives before you realize it, before they realize it. God is at work in, in, in bringing people to faith in Christ. Even the people that you think have no hope in ever following Jesus, God is at work in their life. And we need to realize this, that God is at work in the world. He's at work in the people around us. Even the hopeless situations that we might see, God is at work in those places. And we have to come to terms to understand that God is already doing something. Scholar um, George Stroop says it like this. He says, too often, churches have understood themselves to be taking God to a godless world rather than following God into a world in which God is already redemptively present. One more time. We're following God into a world where God is already redemptively present. What changes if I come to understand that God is already redemptively present in the world around me? What changes in my thinking when I begin to understand that God is already working in my neighbor's life? 
He's already working in my coworker's life. He's already working in the parents of the kids' soccer team that my kids belong to. He's already working with my friend who has no interest in faith in Christ. He's already working in there. What changes when I begin to see that God is already redemptively present and working in people's lives? Because if that's, if that's something that I can come to understand and see in the world around us, one of the things that I can do is I can take a breath and I, and I can relax and realize, you know what? God is sovereign. God is moving. God is at work. And I'm not the linchpin in the whole operation. There's so much freedom that comes when we understand this. Let's go back to Philip. He's been told, go stay near the chariot and just listen and look at how God is already redemptively present in this moment. Verse 30. So Philip ran up to the chariot. He heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Hey, Philip's my hero. He knows God is at work, that God is redemptively present in the world. And, and he's just clearly, clearly shown here is that the Lord just guides Philip to build this relationship, to reach out to this person, and Philip is just, is just willing. And I think he's willing simply because he understands. He knows this reality is not up to him. He's not the linchpin because God is already redemptively present. So what if we made a shift in how we think about evangelism? And we started to see that the people around us that are far from God, the people around us who Jesus has died to save, the people around us who are, who are living a life that is lost, that God has not given up on them, that God is at work in their life that God is seeking to, to build things in them. And, and my interaction, therefore, as a follower of Jesus is just simply to, to be present with him because my, my role in this is actually fairly small. I, I think about it like this. Um, I think about salvation as like a, a light that comes on in people's lives. And sometimes maybe we think like that's a light switch that happens and just like it's dark and then it's light. You just flip a switch and, and that's how that happens. But I think more often than not, when people come to faith in Christ, it's not like a light switch. Much more often, it's like a dimmer switch. As the, as the light slowly gets turned on in someone's life um, through a, a period of time, period of years sometimes, decades even, as the light um, gets turned on because God is, is, is seeking them and bringing people in their lives and things are happening to them. And, and my role in the operation is, is not to flip the switch, but maybe it's just simply to turn the dial just a little bit more in someone's life. And I do this by building relationship. I do this by, by um, offering encouraging words, by praying for them, by praying with them sometimes, by maybe inviting them to church, or sometimes even speaking boldly when it's appropriate. But like, that's my job is just to simply turn the switch, turn, turn, the, turn the, the dimmer switch just a little bit more. Because truthfully, either you're turning the dimmer switch in someone's life towards Christ where the light is coming on a little bit more, or because of your witness as a Christian, you're turning it to be dimmer because you're setting an example or you're setting it this way in a way that is turning them away from Christ. Like one way or the other, you're, you're moving the dimmer switch in someone's life. It's just a question of which way are you, are you turning it? This is why I love Acts 8 so much, is that it's just this story of Philip. It's this crystal clear picture of how God is already redemptively present in the world around us. And our job is simply to help turn the, the dimmer switch. Our job is to be present. Our job is to build relationship. Our job is to be used by God in a way that brings that person closer to Christ. It's an amazing story. Now, let me share with you another Philip kind of story I ran across recently, kind of a modern day way that this uh, 
This redemptively present God is at work in people's lives. And so um, this comes from, from a book that I read recently, an incredible book called Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Really rocked my world as I read this. Um, this is the story um, of uh, Rosaria Butterfield, who tells this, her own story um, of, of coming to faith in Christ as someone who is absolutely the last person you would ever think would come to faith in Christ. And if you follow our discussion guide, I'm going to put a link to a video where she's sharing her story if you wanted to, to follow up on this later, because I just think this is such a compelling and good story. So Rosaria Butterfield, she shares about how she comes to Christ and she starts off talking about her own young adult years and her early professional life, how she was um, an incredibly antagonistic and, and angry person towards uh, Jesus. In fact, she would say this, that she would quote her, her own words, recoil with anger when people would bring up Jesus or the Bible or church. And um, she jokes about how she was one of those people who like checked all the boxes on someone who you would be like, this person would never have faith in Christ. They just checked all the boxes. So she jokes about how she was, you know, this progressive um, uh, professor at Syracuse teaching women's studies. She was in a lesbian relationship. She was really plugged into the LGBT community. She, she uh, and her girlfriend went to a, a Unitarian Universalist church. It's like boxes are just being checked of all the reasons, all the reasons you might discount this person from ever having faith in Christ. And so she jokes about this, how she checked all the boxes. And a lot of her research as a professor was really geared around patriarchy and the religious right. And so she says how she became really obsessed with them um, because she saw that they were really obsessed with her. And they were really enemies. I mean, the religious right and, and, um, and her and her community were really enemies together uh, at, at each other. And so in, in uh, her own research, she wrote a lot about this patriarchy. And then in the, in the 1990s, a men's uh, conference started to form in different parts of the country called Promise Keepers. Maybe some men in our church attended those, those, those events back in the 90s and and uh, Promise Keepers was coming to Syracuse where she was a professor and was going to do one of their big events. And so she wrote an article for the paper. And this was the title of the article. I just find it kind of, kind of funny, but she writes this article. The title was this, Promise Keepers' message is a danger to democracy. And then she went on to just, just destroy um, Promise Keepers and all that they were stood for. And, and she says in, in all of her work, she had never written anything that got so much response as that article. So on her desk, she had two uh, boxes where she put her, her mail. Um, one set of boxes was like the fan mail, people writing how great this article was and how she's glad someone said it finally or someone needed to speak up in this way. And the other side was hate mail. And you can imagine what kind of messages came in, in that box. And then one day she got a letter from a, a local pastor. His name was Ken Smith. And she's reading this letter and she realized that this letter doesn't fit in either box. I mean, this, this local pastor, she said, you know, who took issue with what she wrote about, but he didn't mock or accuse. He wasn't defensive. She says he wrote in a tone of kindness and, and he offered to host her at his house for dinner. And because of the, the, the tone that she was, so, she was so struck by, she thought maybe this would be a good opportunity to research and talk with someone who's in this community. And so she accepted so she went to dinner at Ken's house, of dinner with him and his wife. They prayed before dinner. She says she's heard a lot of prayers before, but never anything like this where it was humble and it was intimate and personal. And, and uh, they, they began to have dinner together and they had a conversation about the article that she had written and there's their, some of their differences, but not in any way that she, she expected this to happen because this couple wasn't accusatory. They didn't mock her. They, they weren't defensive. They just simply asked questions. As the, as the dinner went on, you know, she said, they specifically never invited her to church. They didn't uh, 
share the gospel with her. And she, she later learned those were pretty crucial things. But, but at the end of the dinner, they just simply invited her to come back to have dinner again next week. And because they were so kind, they were, they were so different than her, she was so intrigued by them, she accepted. So she came back for dinner the next week. And they started to come to dinner the week after that. And they started to have weekly dinners together where they slowly became friends. And she says this couple, they entered her world. They they met her friends. They shared books together, exchanged books together. They talked openly about their differences, but they never mocked her. They never became accusatory. They never were defensive. And it was puzzling to her. So she just kept coming back week after week after week for dinner. And they ate dinner together every week for two years. She calls it evangelism by a hundred meals as they slowly uh, became friends and they shared more and more about their life. And she says, I was never their project. I was, I was never their target. I just became their friend. That's her words. It's really a beautiful story. But finally, after two years of weekly dinners, she finally decided to come to church. And as she finally decided to come to church, things in her life started to change. And she had this this repentance that began to take place in her life where she began to have this conversion to Jesus that really changed her life. And the change that happened in her life was incredibly profound. I mean, like 180 kind of stuff because that's what Jesus can do. He, he changes our lives. But this evangelism and this sharing of good news, it happened over a hundred dinners of opening their home, opening their lives, building relationships and understanding, you know what, God's doing something here. Let's just be available to this. I love that story so much because to me, it's, it's like a Philip kind of story. It's, it's somebody who understands that God is redemptively present in the world. And because that couple reaches out to someone who doesn't share their values, and instead of arguing and engaging in that kind of way, they just simply respond in humility and relationship. And they don't engage the culture wars that so often would just fight with people, but instead they just, they reach out in humility and love and they share their lives with someone, which opens the door for the good news. I mean, the truth is, this evangelism through 100 meals happens because God is redemptively present. And we start to understand this. We we understand that we can approach people in a different way. And we can can live in 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 an understanding that, you know what? No one is too far gone. No one is too lost. No one is our enemy that we have to fight. No one is is too cynical or too sinful or too too different than us, but rather everyone is invited to come and have a relationship with Jesus Christ because he is redemptively present in this world around us. And so if you really wanna know how how do you become someone, like what's the first step if you wanna live into this, this value of evangelism? What's like, how does this start? Well, if it begins with this understanding that God is redemptively present, The most important thing that we can do to really engage this is we can pray. This is where I really, where evangelism begins is we pray. We begin to offer ourselves to God. We ask for opportunities to open around us. We begin to ask him for eyes to see the the people around us. Maybe we even begin to name people in our lives that we need to be praying for, for them to to have an awakening of the spirit in their own life. But this is where this begins is, is we pray. It's not about learning more things or developing more better techniques. It's just simply that we begin to trust that God is sovereign, that God is working in this world, that his grace is real, and that he is truly seeking to save everyone. And so we have this, this, this invitation here because what we understand is the redemption of God is all over this place. Now there's gonna be times where it takes boldness. There'll be times where we need to speak words of encouragement or offer to pray with people or invite people to church. 
But we're doing this understanding that our role is just simply we're trying to turn that dial. We're trying to turn that light on a little bit more through our life and through our witness and through how we um, are living. And so as we start to make this shift in our thinking, I wonder, as you think about the people around you, maybe some of the people you'd even discount, what happens when you start to think, you know what, God is redemptively present in their life. Maybe he wants to use me to help turn that dial. Maybe he wants me to build a relationship with them, me to reach out to them, me to take some steps and initiate something where I can begin to share this good news in a way that makes sense to them. And this is where we start to pray. Lord, would you use me to bring others to come to an understanding of Jesus Christ? This is the call that Jesus gives us, to go to every person's world and to preach this good news to everyone. Let's pray together. And so, Father, today we start with a simple confession that you are redemptively present. Therefore, this work of evangelism is not all all on our shoulders because you're already at work. And there are people around us who are far from God. Some of them live in our own houses. They live in our neighborhoods. They live in the people we work with. They're they're people we surround ourselves with, our friends. And, And Lord, today we just start with this understanding that you're working in their lives. Sometimes we don't see it. Maybe they certainly don't see it, but we know that you are at work. And so Father, would you use us to share good news with them. Maybe it's a word of encouragement. Maybe it's having eyes to see the opportunities that they're before us. But to understand that what you want us to do through our witness in our life is to help turn the dial in people's lives. And so we lift up these people around us. For some of us, there are some very specific people that we're thinking about today. People that we desperately want to come to a relationship with Jesus. So we just want to offer them up to you in our own words. We name them before you. And we know that you're redemptively working in their lives. And would you use us in a way they can respond with to better come to understand Jesus. Thank you for this call that you've given us. The whole world will come to understand Jesus through our lives. They might come to understand the gospel. I want to pray for anyone who's with us today and doesn't know this presence and the hope and the joy that is found in Christ today. And so we just offer a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? Would you lead my life? A simple prayer of faith to to lead us towards faith in Christ. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your mercy, your grace, and your love that you give us. It's in your name we pray today. Amen. Friends, thank you so much for joining us in worship today. Hope you were encouraged, challenged, and built up in the faith. And encouraged really to see how you can be salt and light in your world. And it's not something that's super difficult, but something that Jesus calls us all into, to share the life that he's given to us. A big thank you to all those who helped produce our worship service today, our worship experience, to uh, Alec, who's behind the scenes, to Stephanie, to our worship team, to Spencer. Big thanks to all those who contributed, helped make this possible. Uh, We encourage you to take a moment and share this experience with others and to like it. Um, Like and share. Uh, That would be a great help to us, great help to the people in our community. So thank you so much. We'll see you next week for week five of the Come Follow Me series. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper. Amid the flood, mortal ills prevailing. 
ancient foe Doth seek to work us woe His craft and power are great And armed with cruel hate On earth is not his and kindred 